Welcome to Bible study. Good to see everybody tonight. Glad you're here. We're going to take a few moments to pray and ask God's blessing on our time. And then we will get started with the Bible study. So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your love. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, God, that as we gather in the name of Jesus, you are here. You're with us. Your power is here. Your truth is here. Your love is here. Your grace is here. The Holy Spirit, he's here to teach us. And so, God, we just ask that we'd have ears to hear. We'd have a heart that's open, a mind that's open. And we just ask you to have your way. Have your way in me. Have your way in us. Have your way during this time. And we just ask you, Father, that we would hear you, respond to you. And I pray uh, just work in our hearts. Give you thanks tonight. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S P E A K P I P E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, let's open to 1 John. 1 John. First John, chapter 2. 1 John 2. And I need a volunteer to read verses 3, 4, and 5. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Oh, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Alrighty, thank you. And so, uh, if you read verses 1 and 2, you can go up and see what it says, but we understand from that Jesus is our friend, our helper, our advocate. He is the, and is, he is the atoning sacrifice, the answer for the whole world. And so, if you make those statements, you say, okay, Jesus is friend, Jesus is helper, Jesus is advocate. 
He is the atonement, the what is necessary for the forgiveness of the whole world. You think about those things, and all those things are true, and all those things are big ideas. In other words, they're a big part of stuff that we believe. It's a statement of faith, a statement of, of a general idea. And I want you to think about it that way. Now, as such, you can know that as, okay, well, this is what I've learned, that Jesus is friend, helper, advocate, that he is the atonement, the sacrifice for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. All right. So as an idea, awesome. But there has to come a point for us, somehow, some way, where all of that as a general statement becomes something personal. In other words, all of that has to be for me. In other words, he is my friend. He is my helper. He's my advocate. And he is all sufficient in everything I need. And there's a difference between saying he's all those things in a general sense, but actually taking some kind of ownership of that, and he is that for me. And so to me, those are two different things. Because there's lots of things that you can look at in the world and you can say, okay, well, I have a knowledge of this, I have an understanding of this, or whatever. It's another thing when you own it, when it's actually something that means something to you. Because you can look at somebody, let's say you may or may not know, and you can say, hey, they look like a really good friend. Yeah, they may. But are they your really good friend? They look like someone who's, you know, someone that I could trust. Well, okay, do you trust them? That looks like somebody who's very friendly. Okay, well, is that your friend? Do you see the difference between those things? In other words, there's lots of things in the world that they're a great idea or they're an observation or there's something like that, but there's nothing personal about it. And so what is going on here, what I see is going on here in 1 John 2, is not just having a knowledge, because the knowledge is one thing. I know this, I see this, I understand this. It's not just having a knowledge, but actually having a possession in it, having some kind of a stake in it, like, like this is my friend, this is my helper, my advocate, this is all atoning for me. That's who Jesus is. Somebody look at uh, 1 Corinthians 8.1. And I know we didn't get to 1 John 2, 3, and 5 yet, but 1 Corinthians 8, 1. There's a statement made here. I just want to take a moment to look at that. Now about food, sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Right. And so something that he is he's pointing out here in this verse is, okay, only knowledge isn't enough. And, and the whole point of what he was saying in Corinthians was, okay, well, you can reason this out. Food sacrificed to idols doesn't mean anything. In other words, he didn't believe that. He, he knew that. Paul knew that. 
And so he looked at it and he's like, well, it's just food. But he also recognized that there were certain people, though, within the Corinthian church that looked at food sacrificed to idols as being something. In other words, it was a stumbling point for some people that if they were to eat that food, that would cause them to stumble. If they knew other believers were eating that food, it might cause them to stumble, the people that were observing it. And so because of that, even though he had the knowledge that this food that was sacrificed to idols, this meat that was sacrificed to idols was still just meat, and it meant nothing to him, okay, that's knowledge. But what it did mean was that he cared about, and, and the point of the verse was, but I care about the people that are in the church. I care about the people that I'm in contact with. I care about the people that I'm around. And so because I care about them, this isn't a matter of just knowing something. It's a matter of how I'm going to love the people around me and how that's going to affect my decisions and that's how that's going to affect my behavior. Because the love was more important than just knowing. And he makes a statement here about what knowledge does? What does knowledge do, according to this? What do you say? Knowledge puffs up. Okay, it becomes a matter of pride. In other words, you, you're right. And you think about this for a second. It's like, I'm right. And so you want to prove that you're right. See, that's pride. <laughs> and I know, I know that feeling, because it's like, you know you're right, and, and people may disagree with you, but you know that you're absolutely correct. But maybe winning that argument isn't as important as actually loving somebody and taking care of them. And so that becomes more important. And that's really a bigger question. That's really a bigger thing than you're abstractly correct about your opinion. Because being abstractly correct about your opinion, well, we don't live in a vacuum. And so the, the, the whole going about the argument of proving that you're abstractly correct about your opinion, if that hurts somebody else, is it worth it? And what Paul is saying is, no, it's not. It's not worth it. It's not worth hurting someone. It's not worth causing someone to stumble. It's not worth causing someone some kind of emotional turmoil to prove that you're right. That is the pride. That is the puffing up that he talks about. And so you make a bigger, a, a bigger choice than I'm just going to be right. You make a bigger choice than I'm going to prove I was right the whole time. And we're all guilty of this. I mean, I'm not, I'm not pointing a finger because I'm guilty of this. I'm going to prove I'm right. Well, to what end? So I can be right? Yeah, well, what does that do to the people around me? What does that do to that person that's weak? What does that do to that person that has a problem with this? What does it do to that person that has an issue with this? Well, right. And that becomes the bigger question. That becomes the bigger issue. And so going back to 1 John in 2 and verses 3 through 5, going back to that, he, it comes down to this is all about our relationships. It's all about the way that we interact with one another. It's all about our lives together. And so he's bringing it back to that. So he, he begins by talking about, and this is a theme in this, and this is something that we, we kind of need to rework our thinking on this. He starts talking about obedience. 
And and in the issue of obedience and its relationship to who we are and in relationship to what our our life is in Christ. And obedience, it turns out, plays a huge part in us understanding who we are in Christ. Because it's obedience where we make a bigger decision. We're forced into it if we're going to obey. Why do I say that? Well, because there's certain times when we come into this place of obedience that we will be directed in a certain way that we may or may not understand. We may be directed in a certain way that we may or may not be completely comfortable with. We directed in a certain way where we may or may not even agree with. And so that becomes one of those moments, one of those turning moments in our life where I'm either going to trust that God knows what he's doing. I'm going to trust that he loves me. I'm going to trust that he cares about me. I'm going to trust that he's my friend. I'm going to trust that he's my helper. I'm going to trust that he's my advocate. I'm going to trust that he understands and has purpose for my life. I'm going to trust that he has a future for me. I'm going to trust that he knows what he's doing. And I'm going to do what he says. Regardless of how I, in the moment, right now, feel about it. And that's why obedience is a turning point for us. Because if we're waiting to fully understand everything that God says, we're waiting to fully understand everything that he has for us, well, we're probably going to be really disobedient in the meantime. Because there's always those moments, I don't know. There's always those moments, I don't get it. There's always those moments, well, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, right. Right. Because... I'm not God. You're not God. We're not God. He is. And it's a recognition of who he is, big God, but it's also a recognition who he is as my friend. My friend. The one looking out for me. He's the one that is helping me. He's the one that has my best in mind all the time. And that's really what it comes down to is that if we're going to live that, and we're going to make these big ideas that we all agree on. Everybody's like, yeah, that, yeah, of course, of course, of course. It's not of course. It is not of course. Yeah, being able to assent to some big idea that doesn't affect you personally. Yeah, of course that. Yeah. But, but what happens when that's put into an everyday circumstance? What happens when that's put into our life and we're given a choice? Do I really believe, do I really own that he's my friend? Enough to trust him to do what he says. Do I really own that he's my helper, that he's really trying to help me? He wants to help me, that he's out to help me. And so I'm just going to believe him. I'm going to trust him. You see, something has to happen where all of that is put into a moment, a test. It has to mean something. Not just words, words, words. Not just great idea. Not just, well, of course, everybody believes that. Well, they, they might, but what does it mean? Well, practically, practically, it needs to mean something in how we respond and what actually happens in our life. Or it really doesn't mean anything. And he goes into that. He, it's funny, John here uses from like really, really some pretty hard language to 
to really describe what it is when you say one thing, like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I agree with that, and yet you won't trust him. He's some pretty, pretty hard language on that. Or I'm not going to trust what he says enough to do it. But I say I do, but you don't. And so it comes down to you, me, decisions. It comes down to you and me, how we respond. And it comes down to what actually comes about in our life. Not what we talk about. Talk is cheap. Always has been, always will be. Talk does not cost you. Your actions, the things that you actually do with your life, that's what costs you something. And so that's why it's not cheap. And so, you know, it's it's like Jesus, he cut through that all the time. It's like, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. Yeah, well, he had a way of cutting through that. Yeah, great. Some man has no place to lay his head at night. Oh. Yeah, I'll follow you anywhere, but let me first go bury my father. Cut through it. Let the dead bury their own dead. Come follow me. Oh. Hmm. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, well, love God, love each other. Believe the commands. I've kept these since my youth. All right, well, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then you'll inherit eternal life. He went away sad because he had many possessions. See, there's a cutting through that happens through the, the words and ministry of Jesus that was pretty consistent. In other words, it's like, yeah, talk, talk, talk. But everything that they had known up until that point was talk. In other words, it was like, say the right thing. Look the right way. Act the right way. If you can do those things, then you're all set. That's it. And Jesus was like, no, this is a matter of the heart. This is a matter of what's really going on inside of you, and that will reflect in who you really are. That's what's going to happen. And so he had to cut through centuries, centuries of people and religious, whatever, talk, religious uh, rituals, whatever. He had to cut through all that and say, what's really going on in you here, now, today? It's going to mean something today. And you have to cut through all that and get down to where you're at. What do you really think? What do you really believe? Who do you really trust? Are you really willing And so those were the moments that you see happening. Those are the moments that Jesus was bringing people toward. These are the moments that we see coming in the epistles, whether it be Paul or John or whoever it is, that that we got to get to that moment where something really has to mean something in us, unless we're just going to be religious. Religious. You know, I grew up religious when I was young, and I ran away from it because there's nothing to it that I really want any part of. And, and that's just the way it is. There was something not real, something fake. And I just didn't want any part of it. Why invest time and energy and whatever else into something that's just fake? I don't know. And I couldn't figure it out. So I didn't after a while. When I had a choice, when I finally had a choice, I said, I don't want to do that. I'm not gonna. And it wasn't until later on when something real happened in my life, when I had a real experience, when I met, really met God, when I really met Jesus, 
in a dorm room where something actually happened that I was, okay, I can do this. But I couldn't do the other. I didn't want to do the other. Couldn't figure out why it would even matter. You know, it's like people that they, they live a certain way, but they really don't know any, like, they don't really know God. Why do you bother? You know, people that they talk a certain way, they dress a certain way, they act a certain way. Why? See, that's the part I can't even understand. I mean, it's like if you got nothing going on here, why are you pretending you got something going on? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what the advantage is. Uh, and the only thing I can think of is that you're, it's just pretending. If you think you pretend long enough, kind of the fake it till you make it thing. Yeah, that doesn't really work with God. I know that. So, so obedience brings us back. And then he uses a word that we obey his commands or his commandments, depending on what version of the Bible you have. Well, immediately if I say that word, commandment, what do you think of? Ten Commandments, yeah. Charlton Heston, rocks coming down the mountain, right? Yeah, that's not that's not uh, the idea behind that word. Here is is God's word. In other words, what He reveals, what He says, and, and that's the idea of commandment. And you can think of that as a written revelation of what God is saying. You can think of it as prophetic. In other words, God is prophesying. Think about it, the whole Bible was prophesied at some point. I mean. Uh, the Old Testament, uh, the prophets, you think about the Old Testament prophets, like the major prophets, I mean, they would just speak, and they had a scribe that followed them around writing down what they said. Okay? So so the book of Jeremiah, the book of Isaiah, the uh, book of Ezekiel, all these books, I mean, these guys had scribes that would follow them around, uh, big portions of First Kings, Second Kings, where the prophets were speaking, got Elijah, Elisha. They had scribes following them around, and they would write down what they were saying. But understand, the word of God, as it was coming forth in the Old Testament, was spoken. That was being spoken. And so don't discount the spoken word, because that's what most of it was uh, before it was written. Even Paul, you know, if you if you read his epistles, and I know epistle means letter, so you read his letters, but he takes special note when he actually writes down something himself. You ever notice that in the letters? I write this greeting with my own hand. Why? Because he was talking it, he was speaking it out, and someone was transcribing it, and that's how the epistles were written. Paul was actually speaking it out until the end when he'd write a greeting in his own hand. It was That was so given in the situation that he had to point out when he was actually writing it himself. So do not discount the spoken word. Because it's an important way that God reveals himself. It's an important way that God communicates. It's an important way that God brings his truth into our lives. So prophecy is important. And it's important that we keep ourselves open to what God wants to say to us. Uh, most of the whole Bible has something. God, God moves through the spoken word. That's how God moves. That's how God is moving. And so, thankfully, we have the written stuff written down so we can refer back to it. We can study it. We can see it. We can read it, read it over and over again. Thankfully, we have it written down. But it's not the only way that God speaks. 
In fact, he didn't speak it that way originally. We're just thankful for Baruch or whoever it was that was transcribing what the prophet was saying. So, so there's the prophetic word, and then there's this dynamic way that God reveals himself to us. What do I mean by that? I mean lots of ways. Sometimes he reveals himself through poetry or he reveals himself through worship or he reveals himself through um, art somehow, some other form of art, through dance, through uh, he reveals himself through media. He reveals himself through any number of ways that he chooses to do that. He's God. He does what he wants. And so for us to say, well, God can only speak to me in this way, that is ridiculous. Ridiculous. He can speak any way he chooses, and he can reveal any way he chooses, and he can show us any way he chooses. And so we need to be open to that. We need to hear, put ourselves in a position where we are hearing that, because that is the will of God, and that's what we're really after. We're after the big picture kind of thing. And uh, there's a word here used, it's a word for keep, his word, keep his commandment, keep. And that word keep that's used in this passage it literally means to, it'd be like something precious, like an heirloom. You keep something precious. You keep an heirloom. In other words, you guard it, you watch it, and you're aware of it. And so when he says, keep my commandments, what he's saying is, I'm going to guard that, I'm going to watch it, and I'm going to be aware of what? His word, his will, his purpose, his plan. I'm going to be aware of his communication with me. I'm going to be aware that he speaks to me not in always ways that I expect. I'm going to be aware that sometimes he sends angels to speak to me. I'm going to be aware that sometimes he brings us into situations where there's going to be people that come along, they're going to speak to us, and I need to be open to that, and I need to be aware of that. Put ourselves in that position to keep that word and see it as something precious, something like that heirloom that we're going to guard, we're going to watch, and we're going to be aware of. We're not just going to leave it sitting out there. We're just not going to say, oh, I'll come back to that later. No, I'm going to keep that, I'm going to watch that, and I'm going to honor that. I'm going to protect it. And you need to be protective of what he says. You need to be protective of what he's speaking over you. You need to be protective of what he said over your life. You need to be protective over the, the words that are being prophesied. You need to be protective of your time with him as you're listening to him in prayer. Protective of that time. Protective of him speaking over you, in you, through you, however he chooses to do it, but to guard that. And to honor it. And so in, in this place, is it keep my commandments? Yeah. Honor that. Yeah. It's precious. It's precious. His will is precious. So I'm going to look at John 14, 15. Gospel of John 14, 15. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Yeah. Yeah, so this isn't like something new. Right? We're not just hearing about this here in, toward the end of the New Testament or anything. That's, that's, that's what the Lord was saying. Uh, in John 14, he was saying that. This is a an idea of understanding what it is to love God. And I can, you know, we can talk about love as a feeling. It is. Love is an emotion. You can talk about love in a lot of different ways. Uh, we, we, in English particularly, we, we have this word love that's like a catch-all. 
of every form of emotional response just about like yeah we we love pizza pizza. (laughs) we love our we love our friend we love our spouse we love our dog we we love chicken wings we love uh we love sunny weather we love (laughs) our cars we love lamp i mean it's like we love whatever it's just such a catch-all though that it begins uh, like any word that takes on too much meaning it just loses meaning that's what happens and every word in our language that takes on an excessive amount of meaning like that means nothing in a way because if i say i love someone i say i love you well do i love you like i love pizza do I love you like I love my car? Do I love you like I love my dog? You know, I, I, I don't know. What does the word mean? So in and of itself, think about that for a second. But begin to say, all right, well, if love, it has to be more than a word. Okay? So there has to be some action associated with it for it to mean anything. And so if we're really going to understand, you know, really take hold of what does this person mean by they love me well you need to look at what is the actual response what's the actual physical uh, manifestation of love in their life toward me what does it look like how does it affect their behavior how does it affect their actions what does their proclamation of love flesh out to in my life. And so that becomes more important than using the word. And so uh, the picture that we're given here is walking with, with, with the Lord. In other words, we're, we're walking with him and sharing our life. And so there's this sharing of life and counting that as a privilege and as something precious that actually means something. I'm going to love him. Well, he says, well, you will cherish and you will honor and you will guard and you will be aware of what I say and my will for your life. And that's what it means to love him. I'm actually going to trust him. I'm actually going to believe him. I'm actually going to honor what he says. I'm actually going to value what he says. I'm actually going to believe and trust what he says. And if I'm willing to do that, and I'm willing to stay on this like journey with him, that's love. That's love. And, and I know you don't think of it that deeply, but I mean, it, it is that deep. In the sense that we're going to share life and we're going to walk together. Now you think about friendships that you have with people. All right, you can talk and say love, love, love. But what actually shows that? Well, it's the journey you're taking together is what shows that. And there has to be a mutual trust. There has to be a mutual understanding. There has to be a mutual sharing of life. It's going to show that. And so if, if you love me 
We're going to walk together. If you love me, you're going to honor that. And you're going to honor that time. You're going to honor that place. You're going to guard it. You're going to watch it. You're going to be aware of it. You're going to be aware of you. You're going to be aware of me. And we're going to share a life and we're going to go on this journey together. That's what love is to me. And so I'm saying that's what Jesus was saying. And I think it's a great way for us to begin to or at least get a hold of the idea of actually loving one another and sharing life together. Because that's what it means. And so that's the picture we're given. The bigger picture is that his will, his purposes, his plan. Well, the bigger picture is, well, we're walking it together. He's with us. We're with him. And so then there's a love in and of that. And so as you go down in the verse a little bit more, it says that we can be sure, sure that we know him. And, and so it's kind of interesting that you can be sure that who knows him, that I know him. This is a, a word to you as an individual. So it's for me, my assurance, not for everybody else. And read the passage for what it says. Like, I, you know, the, the assurance is for me. Well, it's personal, right? Between me and him. And the assurance is, I need the assurance. It's not for everybody. It's not a show for everybody else. And see, this is a key difference between what I'm talking about tonight and kind of the, the trap of religion. Religion, you do for everybody else, in a sense. You go through the motions. You go through what you're supposed to do. It's how you dress, how you talk. It's how you look. I mean, that's for other people. That ain't for you. That's for everybody else. What this is talking about, this is for you. It's for me. And so I can be assured in my relationship with him that it's good. It's my assurance. And so that the, the verse here says you can be sure that you know him. I can be sure that I know him through this. And, and there's a word in there, I don't know if your version has it, but there's a word used, herein. Herein is the word. It's translated herein. But in the original language, it means it is this thing and this thing only. <laughs> Which is kind of a specific statement. It's this thing and this thing only that truly is our surety Truly, that I am in him. It's this thing only. What's that? I'm walking with him. I'm sharing life with him. I'm honoring and I'm keeping and it's precious to me and I'm guarding it and I'm aware of my life with him every day. That makes me sure. I am sure I'm in him. And that's the thing. It doesn't have to have anything to do with some uh, religious motion that you went through. All right, and not to mess with anybody's faith, but I mean, I, I gave up praying the, the little prayer a long time ago. You know, raise your hand, repeat after me prayer. You know that one? I gave that up a long time ago. You're either going to come, come at this from the heart, seriously, 
or, or it ain't going to matter anyway. Somebody's going to come to Jesus like in here and they're going to mean something in here. It's going to be a lot more than just repeating some prayer somewhere. And like I said, I'm not trying to mess with anybody's faith, whatever your faith is, it is. But I'm here to tell you that more importantly than that prayer and that moment where whatever that moment was where you, where you began something, whatever that moment was when you began it, is what you're doing now. You walk now. His presence now. Responding to him now. On a journey with him now. That's what matters. Now. Herein. And that only. I'm just trying to make this really simple. In other words, it's like, where am I today? I'm with him. What am I doing today? I'm with him. Does that mean if you're not, you know, buddy, buddy all the time that everything's bad? Nope. That's not what I'm saying at all. All I'm saying is, is that you want a barometer. You want some kind of a gauge. You want to understand where you're at with God. It has more to do with where you're at with him right here, right now, today, on your walk with him, on your journey with him, sharing life with him. Well, what happens if things aren't going so well with me right now? Well, that's part of the journey. What happens if my faith is low right now? That's part of the journey. What happens if, if I'm not living exactly the way I'm supposed to be living? Well, that's part of the journey. But you're still sharing the journey with him. Herein, herein, that's the thing. The sauce is that I'm sharing life with him. Good times, bad times, right. Up times, low times, right. Face times, no face times, right. But I'm sharing the life with him. This is my life. I got nothing else. I'm walking with him. That's the thing. That's it. And I know we like to look back and say, well, it was on October 8th, 19, you know, 99, that I prayed this prayer and, and that was it. And we look back on that and say, well, that was it. Whoa. There's nothing dynamic about that. There's nothing living about that. It's mechanistic. It's like, oh, yeah, I got the day. But we're in a relationship. If you met a person on October 9th, 1999, and you ain't talked to him since, do you know him? No. No. If you're not keeping in contact with him and you're not sharing life with him, are they really your friend? Probably not. Probably not. And October 9th, 1999, don't matter if you got nothing now. So, we got to look at this a little bit more organically. We got to look at this a little bit more dynamically. We got to look at this a little bit more like a real relationship than some religious moment that we can look back on and say, yes, that was my, whatever you want to say it was, your spiritual birthday or whatever. It's like there's something a little more organic than that going on here that we need to really consider. I'm in a relationship with him. And really the measure, the measure, the assurance, all that I need is contained in the sharing and the walk of life that I'm sharing with him. That's what it is. I can make something up, but that's not true. And, and he goes in here, he, he does this thing here. He's like, you can make the claim, I know God. Why? Because on October 9th, 
1999, I prayed a prayer, and so therefore, I know God. You can make that claim if you want. And he says that. You can make that claim. I know God. But if you make the claim, I know God, I'm going to give you a little math equation here, you right? I'm making the claim, quote, I know God, unquote, plus no obedience. Okay? I know God plus no obedience equals lie. That's a lie. He, he makes it a simple equation because the claim doesn't make it true. The claim doesn't make it happen. The claim doesn't mean anything unless there's something going on. There's a walk that's going on. Unless there is a sharing of life that's going on. Unless there is a bigger picture, I want to know God, I want to know what he has for my life, I trust him, and I believe him for what he says, that kind of thing going on, if that ain't happening, then the first part of that doesn't mean anything. And that's what he's trying to say. This isn't a religious exercise that you look back on and say, that was that moment, you know, however many years ago that was, 25 years ago. That was the moment, right then, boom. Good, for, good forever. Hmm. Yeah, that claim plus no obedience today equals a lie. According to the equation we're given. Meaning, and he says you're not living, living, living. Living is a dynamic. Living is organic. Living is an organism. Living in truth. It's a self-deception. And so he uses the word, you are a liar. That's the word. That's a strong, strong word. It's a strong word. And so, number one, the person who does that, I know God plus no obedience, no trust, no faith, equals lie. So the first person that you're a liar to is yourself. You're a liar. To whom? To yourself. You ain't fooling God. I'll tell you that right now. So the first person you're fooling is yourself with that. You're a liar to self. And, and the word liar is a strong word. And it's something that enters into our nature. And the root meaning of it is you're our pretender. You're a pretender. A pretender. So I look at Revelation 21.8. There's a little song about this verse, but I won't sing it for you. I'm having enough trouble talking. I don't know if I'm quite up for singing tonight. Revelation 21.8. And, and again, this is not something I'm trying to make anybody feel badly about. I just want you to understand that this is a real thing, and, and God feels a certain way about this. And so how does he feel about you lying to yourself and being a pretender? Revelation 21.8. All right, so uh, so you got all the, the the first and the last words on that always strike me the most because everything in the middle you hear about other places the the first and the last uh, words there descriptors the cowardly 
He does not like the cowardly. You know, like the cowardly lion. Yeah, no. He does not like the cowardly. And all liars. Not just some, not a few. All. And they're the pretenders. Well, except for me. Yeah, yeah, except for me. So there, and I think he put all in there to make sure no one really could do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, whatever excuse you want to make about it, whatever. Pretenders and the cowardly. First and last descriptors there. So, interestingly, you know, we wonder sometimes, oh, I wonder if God really cares about that. There's two things he cares about right there. There's a whole list of things he cares about, but two things I'm just pointing out. Cowardly and pretenders. Doesn't like that. And I'm, I'm soft-shoeing it a little bit, right? You understand I'm not making it... He's pretty strong language on this. All I'm saying is don't like that. And so it, it comes to me, it, it occurs to me that, all right, well, if you're wondering, okay, God care about this? Yes. Yes, he does. And he gives you the opportunity not to live as a pretender. You don't have to. And this is why he gives us this opportunity. He cares about it. He actually cares about it. And, and here's a way of seeing this. All the stuff that you see in, in, in the Gospels that's, that is absolutely true in Christ he wants to be true in you. What's true in him, he just wants to be true in you. So it's not a mystery. In other words, there's nothing mysterious about this. He lived out a life, and there are certain things that were true in him. And he wants those things, those main and plain, big item things, to be true in you and me. And so he works in us and through us to see that happen. Because he cares. He cares about it. He doesn't want you to be some fake person. He doesn't want you to be a pretender. He doesn't want you to be afraid of your own shadow. He doesn't want you to be a coward. He wants you to live in assurance. And he wants you to live in a, and I want to say, a, just a, a genuine way. I mean, Really? Authentic. And what does that mean? That means if you're a jerk, you're a jerk. If you're not happy today, you're just not happy. If you're struggling with your faith, then you're struggling with your faith. If you're angry, you're angry. If you're upset, you're upset. If you're bored, you're bored. Whatever the case may be. Is authentic. It's who I am. And one thing I've found in this world, especially over the last number of years, there is a real, a real attractiveness to authentic people. And people see that. Yeah. I mean, Aaron is so offensive <laughs> to most Christians, but gets away with it because she's authentic. I mean, even with, even with people that would normally, normally be so offended by her, 
because she's authentic about who she is, they cut her a break. And I've seen it happen. I watch it happen. And so there is something to be said, and I'm picking on her, but there's something to be said, though, about just being real and just being who you are. And people, you think in your head, oh, they'll judge me. Yeah, no. No. Some might, but who cares? You don't probably want to know them anyway. But there's always people, though, they're going to respond to that, and, and they're going to, to take hold of that. There was a, uh, there's a guy that uh, Aaron is friends with, and, uh, and I would not, and I've talked to the guy before at length, uh, and it would not strike me right off that he would be someone that would uh, like her. But he loves her. In fact, he wants other people to love her. But what he's finding out is that some of the people that he runs in circles with, where he lives, they're kind of the religious kind of Christian people. They don't love her, and they don't know what he sees in her. <laughs> and that's what he's figuring out. It's like, yeah, all right, so not everyone's going to love her. Why? Because they maybe not, they don't value authenticity. Maybe they don't value being real. Maybe they don't value any of those things. And so they value looking right, sounding right, dressing right more than they do any of the other things. Right. But I don't know that our time is well spent with people that don't value being authentic or whatever. And so it's almost like you're automatically putting out a signal. You're saying, okay... This is who I am. This is what's happening in my life. Take it or leave it. And there'll be people that take it, and those are the people that you want to know. And it almost uh, fixes itself. and <laughs> it saves a bunch of time along the way. It just does. And, uh, you know, I can say the same thing about other people in this room, not just Aaron, but watching people respond Watching people respond to people just because they are who they are. In circumstances, situations, across cultures, languages, whatever. Because people, for the most part, will respond to true. Not saying. Imperfect? Yeah. Offensive? Right? What I say is who we are. It's who I am. So God values and puts a value on that. And I believe he leads us into that place because he cares about it. All of this that we're reading here tonight, we're reading because that, that's what he cares about. And so you look at stuff that matters to Jesus, like what's true in him, he wants that to be true in you. Yeah. Yeah, the big stuff. Stuff that matters. All right, last thing he talks about here is to more fully know him. And this is where I'm going to end up. And the whole idea behind that is growing and being perfected or being made whole or attaining the end. But we grow, we live in relationship with him. We find life and truth and purpose and joy. Um. Last verse here, uh, well, no, not the last verse. One of the last verses. Galatians 5 and verse uh, 6. Galatians 5 and 6. 
Therefore, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts in faith, expressing itself through love. All right. So, now I want you to think about that st the statement there. Uh, circumcision, not circumcision. All right. Well, they had, a, they had a huge problem in the early church about those two things. Huge problem. They had to have a special council in Jerusalem to somehow make a decision about those two things. I mean, it was a big deal. And so they had to write letters and send them all out, and they had to send emissaries out with the letters, try to straighten this thing out. Big problems. Big problems. We got big problems all over the place. Why? Circumcision, not circumcision. And then you got Paul here, Galatians 5, 6. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right? It doesn't matter. Those are not big deals. Well, somehow they were. They were somehow. In that moment, in that day. I can't, I can't really say that circumcision has been a big deal since, right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I don't know. We got. We make our choices, and that's about it. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm just saying. It's like you know, we don't check people when they come into the church. Hey, hey, buddy, we need to know. I don't want to know. No. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Not a big deal. Don't want to know. It's not a big deal. Turns out Paul was right in Galatians. All right, it's not a big deal. Haven't been a big deal for a long time. Thousands of years, all right? Not a big deal. In that moment, it was a big deal, but then it passed. Not a big deal. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But he says what is the big deal is faith expressing itself in freedom. Faith expressing itself in freedom. That's a big deal. Be free. Be free. Let your trust and let your faith minister freedom into your heart and into your life. That's what matters. Let's be free. And so all of this comes down to what would be considered at this time to John or Paul, whoever's writing, to Jesus. This is a new way to see things is what it is. It's a new way to live. And in order to do this, you got to leave behind the old stuff. And so, you know, Paul's writing in Galatians like, oh, yeah, circumcision, no circumcision, it doesn't matter. Well, why was it such a big deal in a church? Because they couldn't leave it behind. All these people have been brought up in this, this faith that said circumcision is everything. Circumcision is the thing that sets you apart. Circumcision says that you're God. Circumcision is the covenant. Circumcision is what matters. And so that's how they were brought up. And it, it took a while to let go. Just let go of that. That doesn't matter anymore. It didn't matter to what Jesus was doing. It didn't matter in, in the whole New Testament church. It just didn't matter anymore. It didn't matter. But they had to let go of the old. They let go of the way that they were brought up. If you were brought up religious, like you were brought up in a church, then you got religion. You got to let it go. 
I mean, I don't care where you came from. You be Catholic, whatever. I don't care. Catholic, Jewish, whatever. Mormon, Buddhist, I don't care. You're brought up in something. Hindu, whatever. You're brought up in something. You're brought up in religion. All right? And religion affects the way you're going to see things and understand things. Circumcision is a big deal. No, it's not. What's your big deal? I don't know. Something's a big deal. Like we've had people in church like, why don't you guys have communion more often? Is that a big deal to you? Yes. Why? Well, the Bible says so. Well, everything's always the Bible says so, right? The Bible says lots of stuff. But we're going we're gonna to focus on one thing and say, well, that's the big deal. So I remember years ago we had, some, we had a couple in church, like, we won't have communion more often. Like, all right, you can have communion every single Sunday. I'll open up the back room there. I'll give you the grape juice. I'll give you some bread. You can go back there and have communion. Invite as many people as you want. Every single Sunday, I don't care. And whoever wants to do it every single Sunday can go back there and they can have communion every single Sunday. Why? Because it's a big deal to them. Not a big deal to me. Nope. So we got to leave something behind. All right? The religions, you, you start thinking about all the ways that religion affects the way you see things. Well, that person shouldn't be doing that. Why do you say that? Well, because somebody at some point told you that. <laughs> right? They pointed out some part of the Bible that says that. You know, women should wear hats in church. Why? Because it says it right there. The guy had their heads covered. I've been in churches like that. Right? But that's a big deal. That's not a big deal to me. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's fine. Don't worry about it. If you do, you do. Don't, don't. It doesn't matter. All right. So, but we're all brought up in something, right? So we got to let it go. What matters? Faith expressing itself in freedom in your life. Last two verses. New way of seeing things. Romans 13, 12. Leave behind the old, pick up the new way of seeing things. Romans 13, 12 and Ephesians 5 and verse 8. So Romans 13 and 12. Okay, throughout the New Testament, Jesus talks about and is light. And so there's darkness, and then he is light. And so there's a theme through the New Testament about light, about seeing things for as they are. Because when you're in a dark or semi-dark circumstance, you can't really see things for as they are. When the light shines on it, you say, oh, all right, then that's a, that's a whole other way of seeing something, even if it's the same thing that's right in front of you. And so Jesus, he talks about that. He's the light. All right, good. New Testament, Holy Spirit bringing the light. The light is important. Because, why? Because it, it shows us the reality of what's in front of us. And being willing, being willing to see things differently. And it is different. Differently, but as they really are. That's Revelation. I'm going to leave behind the old idea. You ever see something in the dark, you thought it was one thing, and then when light shines on it, something else? I don't know if you ever. All right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Not what you thought. Um, it happens quite a bit, actually. Uh, I'll see something in the yard. Like, ooh, what's that? That is a skunk. <laughs> Not a skunk, man. It's a pile of leaves, all right? Or it's a branch <laughs> or something, right? But I wouldn't know that until I get my phone flashlight out and take a look. Not too close, because, you know, it's getting too close to a skunk. But something totally different. All right, so you shine the light on it. Now, am I going to continue believing that pile of branches is a skunk after I shine a light on it? No. I see it for what it is. Not a skunk. Change my mind. I'm changing my mind. I'm accepting the truth. Last verse, Ephesians 5.8. Yeah, and and basically what that verse is saying is like, all right, get a hold of what things, what it really is. All right, yeah, get a hold of it. Just because you saw things a certain way doesn't mean you have to always see them that way. Just because you experience things a certain way doesn't mean you have to always see it or understand your world through that lens. Be willing to see something differently. Be willing to accept the truth of the matter be willing to walk forward in that truth and be willing to get free from the stuff that just doesn't matter. Because there's a lot of stuff that doesn't matter. So I encourage you tonight, I'm going to take a few moments, and I just want to encourage you that uh, we're being called into, into a place of relationship. We're being called into a place of life together. We're being called into something that really matters into a walk, into a conversation, into an abiding with Jesus. That's what we're being called into. And, and that, that's what matters. That there's a, a moment of pivot in our life where it becomes more about what's actually happening, that I'm going to actually trust him, I'm going to believe him, I'm going to actually do what he says. Why? Because he's right. And he wants the best for me. He has the best for me. His will is perfect for me. His plan is perfect for my life. There's a pivot in that moment where it becomes more about what he says, what he wants, what he has for us. Because we actually believe him in him loving us and wanting the best for us. That we pivot toward that and away from whatever our ideas were. Whatever those darkness ideas were. Whatever looked great in the dark, the light shines on it. It's like, this is so much better over here. You're actually pivoting toward that. And so I want to encourage you toward that tonight. So Heavenly Father, I, I pray for us tonight that uh, we would uh, allow for the truth in our lives. That we'd be a people who trust you, believe you, hear you, Take your word into our life and actually live it. Actually, just live it. That, that we walk with you. That we find our rest in you. We find purpose in you. We find our future in you. We find peace in you. We find joy in you. We, we find out that you're really everything we need. And we're just who we are. 
So God, I pray you'd speak to hearts tonight. I pray you'd challenge ideas. I pray you'd challenge some religion in some people tonight. Just to leave behind some stuff that just doesn't matter. And, and believe the light and believe the revelation and believe the understanding. And let go. Let go of the old ways. Let go of the old ideas. And herein, in that relationship and in that walk with you, find all the assurance that they need. So why don't you just respond, uh, right? Whatever's speaking to you, whatever is really touching you in your spirit, in your heart, in your soul, uh, why don't you respond to that? Just take a moment. Take a few moments to respond to that. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Got a very let go of self condemnation. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you. Father, I just thank you for uh, loving us so much, taking care of us. Thank you for looking out for us. Thank you for just all your love. I pray that uh, we'd be some authentic people after your heart, after life in you. So we give you thanks. Ask God that you continue the work you're doing, the life you're giving. Ask it in Jesus' name. Screw by saying amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for coming tonight. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm -hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm hmm So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.